Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Fellas, how are we doing on this Tuesday as we're recording? Doing awesome, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, we've been working a lot lately, and we got another game coming up this weekend, and then a bye, though. This is the guy who is is like begs to go on every trip, and then we come back from the trip. We've been working a lot lately. You know, I I, I think we work pretty hard when we go we, away, though. Yeah, we work hard, but you've been really excited to go on all the uh, yeah. trips. I was uh, jumping around in the end zone in the rain. I don't know if any of our subscribers saw on television. They probably didn't because ASU got nowhere near the end zone, it seemed like, against Utah. Um, but... I was jumping around in the end zone until about the midway through the third quarter point. Why you got to be then, so mean? And then uh, when it got to be uh, 28 degrees wind chill, I, that was when I hit my limit. Yeah. You said that you wanted it I to wanted be as much rain and cold, cold and rain as possible. And then after the game was over, you were like, yeah, that was a little bit rough. Well, see, the first half, I was having a ball. And then, I mean, this isn't the Rob Warner podcast. Guys, how you doing? <laughs> well, I was going to say to you, Rob, that you jumping on the on the disc train a little bit with ASU football and not getting near the end zone, how's Chase Lucas going to feel about that? You're gonna, I mean, Chase Lucas didn't get near the end zone. He almost... I know, but but like you've been making him happy on the pod lately, and now you're I don't think Chase mean. Lucas ever once listened to anything that I've said on the Sun Devils Orange Report podcast. I don't know. Trevor, how you, man? I'm doing good, Rob. I'm glad to see that you're back and made it through that rain and snow experience. Whose predictions were the most off from that game? I forgot. Uh, Mine and Mason's were the most off. You guys had the two people that were traveling with you to the game. Wow. Okay. Okay. So ASU had uh, record low performances in passing yards as Jaden Daniels was four of eighteen for just twenty five yards, by far the most, the least this season. ASU had just 136 yards of total offense uh, and was really helped by Eno Benjamin, who had 104 yards. Uh, so historic lows for ASU offensively. Guys, immediate takeaways from the performance from ASU. Dreadful on offense is really the only way to put it. Um, you said something that was very interesting to me, Rob, which was uh, if before the game somebody told you that ASU was going to get four takeaways – and Eno you know, Benjamin was going to run for 100 yards, you would say that either ASU won or was a very close loss, right? One or the other. Because how do you get four takeaways and Eno you know, Benjamin runs for 100 yards without that? And ASU got drilled 21-3, mm-hmm. and that's, like, shocking to have happened when ASU um, in back-to-back possessions in the third quarter gets takeaways inside of scoring territory, right? Uh the, the Rob Likens, he talked about it for a second time uh, in after Tuesday's practice with us, and uh, he said something that was very true, which was ASU just kept shooting itself in the foot, going backwards, and I'll kind of go through kind of what happened there. So in the third quarter alone, ASU's first possession, you know, Benjamin 18-yard run, you know, Benjamin 10-yard run, and then in the wet conditions, the snap goes to Jaden Daniels. He can't come up with it. Loss of eight yards. ASU's facing a second and 18, right? Not able to, you know, convert, ends up punting. Uh, then after that, ASU uh, gets a turnover. The first turnover, I think that was the one that was uh, uh, the Huntley fumble where he was going to shovel past it. But before he was able to shovel past it, who was it? Tyler Johnson or somebody got his hand in there and knocked the ball away. Um Second play after that, Kyle Williams gets called for offensive pass interference, and ASU's all of a sudden facing a second and 24. 
And I think they got three points out of that on uh, field goal. The next possession ASU gets the ball was, um, again, after a turnover, Chase Lucas interception. First play after that, Steve Miller gets a false start. That's a five-yard penalty. Uh, so that's three in a row that they were starting from, uh, you know, long situations. Rob Lykin said we're a scheduled offense, meaning that when they get behind the schedule on first and second down, it becomes very difficult. Utah has only given up 11 chunk plays. That's, you know, I think, like 15 yards passing plays, 10-plus yard running plays all season. Uh, coming into this game, gave up zero in this game. And uh, so, yeah, and then beyond those plays, you had another false start by ASU on a, early on a drive. You had a ball that uh, Cole Cabral rolled to uh, to Jaden Daniels that was a loss of like six yards or something. That was a negative play. And that that is really, really difficult to overcome. And um, – I'm going to let you guys weigh in a little bit, and then I got a bunch more other stuff about ASU's offense that I probably will uncork after that. Yeah, my <clears throat> excuse me, initial thoughts for the game, I think it was just the fact that, and Rob Likens talked about it today too, it felt like it was going to be one of those games that they would come back like Cal and Michigan State where they trailed, and eventually would it be one of those takeaways that they got in the third quarter, they'd be able to, to turn that into points. And, and he said the offense kind of felt that way, and that was what they were picking up once they got those turnovers in the, thir- in the third quarter. And no matter you know what ASU had for it, uh, Tyler Huntley – got hurt and his leg was off and he threw that interception and ASU's defense did a good job of shutting down Zach Moss on the, on the ground for the most part. And again, just those opportunities four takeaways into three total points that just never really worked out for the offense. And eventually it gave in the fourth quarter when Zach Moss sealed um, it with that touchdown run and became Utah's all time leading rusher on that run. So just a, a lot of missed opportunities in that sense. It felt like there were a lot of opportunities for the taking that ASU had that they weren't able to turn in. And I want to throw it to our punning expert, Jacob Rudner, because Michael Turk had an amazing game. And it, without Michael Turk, I was talking to some friends about this. I think if it was Michael Sleep Dalton and there were not good punts in that game, it very well could have been a much different score. But Turk averaged uh, just about 50 yards per punt. He had several really good ones. Um, he didn't have any downed in the 20. There's a few that ASU just the special teams wasn't very good on uh, that, that could have been down inside the five, but ASU got faked out pretty good. I thought he had a really nice game. We need to get uh, someone to sponsor our Turk tracker segment <laughs> headlined by Jacob Rudner. Yeah. I mean, he, we've talked about it a couple times, just how important Michael Turk is to this team, especially in situations where it's like they, they have a hard time moving the ball. And this is a guy that can flip the field and he averaged, 48 yards a kick, he punted eight times, and, and three of them were inside the 20. But the the point I really wanted to bring up was yesterday, or not yesterday, it's a, it's a terrible evergreen podcast term. On Monday, Herm Edwards spoke after, after, after the game like he usually does, and a reporter had asked him, what needs to change as, as you move forward? What lessons were you able to take out of this? And he basically went through every single third down play. That went disastrously, and and he didn't they, go through every play. No, he, he mentioned, mentioned the, the distances, yeah. right? So he, he mentioned the distances. I, yes, only right. to, only Danny Gonzalez would go through every third down. Play. <laughs> right, so he would. But, but what what I'm trying to say is that the, this game was a whole lot of not being able to move the ball and unmasking a whole bunch of flaws in the most extreme sense. Utah did a really good job of exploiting ASU's offensive line, and in talking to Dave Christensen. Uh, you know, he he had said that this was not a game 
where they felt like they were beat because of schemes. He says that they were comfortable with their schemes and they felt consistent with their schemes coming into the game. He says it was one of those situations where they they feel like they were just physically beaten. He says that it was it was a very physical game. They had a physical advantage, and that was what beat the offensive line because he says schematically it was consistent to what it had been in the past. Yeah, this ASU beat Utah the last couple times playing the exact same defense with the exact same right. coordinator. So he's right. That's absolutely true. Now, a difference is it it wasn't where I disagree a little bit with with Christensen said, Christensen said is that <laughs> it wasn't only it wasn't only physical. Okay? It was also guys who are young not picking up some of the things that Utah was doing. Right. So, like, right out of the gate, for example, just to, like, sort of put a finer point on this, um, the second down play on the first uh, offensive possession, I think that Steve Miller gets split. There's a, a rusher on either side of him, so that's a veteran player who that shouldn't happen. Then the third down play, Utah brings a seven-man pressure, double A-gap pressure, slams Jaden Daniels with an unblocked guy uh, with a six-man protection as Daniels is, is trying to throw the ball. So what I was going to really kind of try to expand on here is ASU couldn't go to empty personnel, uh, you know, five wides, because Utah was just bringing pressure and getting there really, really quickly. And especially ASU couldn't do it when it was facing all these second and third and long situations because it takes more time for the route structures to develop on those types of plays, right? And ASU was running the ball well, especially out of its 11 personnel. You know, Benjamin had, you know, a 6.9 yard per carry average, which is quite good. Um, The problem, though, is that he only carried the ball 15 times on, I think, ASU's 51 offensive snaps in the game. And the reason for that is because so often ASU was facing these second and third down situations. So was, did I say it right? Was it was it six point nine yards for, for for Benjamin or six point something? Six something I think it was six point seven or something like that. But it was a really great performance by him. When I mean, he was really all ASU had, and fans were saying on the boards, uh, "Why not give it to him more?" And Chris, you and I talked about it on the post game show that. You can't give him the ball every single play and expect that average to continue. You need to be putting him in situations that are favorable. Right. I I, I remembered it right. It was six point nine. But so, okay. So 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 the questions are like, what could ASU have done to try to be more successful? I'm writing about this in Ten Takeaways, which is going on the site uh, on Tuesday. So you know, and whenever you 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 listen to this, you'll know. But. Um, in the first quarter, when ASU had Jaden Pock, Jaden Daniels, like pretty much glued to the pocket, and he was get, facing this relentless pressure, I tweeted that they needed to try to get him on some bootlegs, uh, some RPO open stuff, some waggle stuff, you know, things that moved the pocket a little bit. So on the next, very next drive, uh, they ran a, a twelve personnel, two tight end look, where uh, they slipped uh, the tight end Tommy Hudson f- from the backside to the front side. You know, made it look like a play action where Daniels is, is under center. He's coming out, fake handoff, quick throw to Tommy Hudson into the boundary. That worked for like maybe an eight-yard gain, something like that. Uh, and then from then on, it became pretty clear that when they ever, whenever they went to empty personnel, they weren't able to be successful throwing the ball. But the 12 personnel stuff was actually – it was there for them. 
And I asked Rob Likens uh, this week about it and uh, about what he thinks about where their 12 personnel is at and their capability. And basically he said that they, he feels like they should, that they want to expand upon what they have. And that to me was like the really like key thing to hone in on from this week and from actually that game, because that was uh, a, a implicitly that was him saying that if they had more of a diverse capability with their tight ends, installed with their two tight ends where they're able to have guys block react slip after you show after you have initial six seven man protection if you have the ability to slip those guys on where it looks like you know run game but it's play actions uh you know and other types of creative concepts you know like for instance utah in that game used 12 personnel uh, quarterback RPO where it was like a quarterback dive type play where the jet motions going around and Huntley ends up uh, running vertically behind the two tight ends. So there's, there's, and, and, and Utah also uh, had other, you know, similar types of play concepts with its two tight end stuff that ASU could have utilized those types of things in its package. So that's, that's one. The second part of this, that I think was necessary for ASU and not so much in the longer down a distance situations, because then it's not really going to work. But when you, when you look at the, in the NFL, when you watch the new England Patriots or some of these other teams that do a great job of run replacements, quick hitting throws that ha- the ball has to come out in a hurry because the quarterback doesn't have time to hang on to it for three, four, or five seconds, right? And a lot of those, what they are, they're, they are uh, throws that go immediately to the perimeter or in a little bit tighter, like more of the slot area, with out of two by two sets, three by one sets, where there's quick rub routes there's quick underneath quick lateral development of play structures okay because why the reason is because utah is plays a lot of uh, man free coverages okay single high safety man across everywhere else their their only you know way of of getting into routes that can then allow you to throw the ball quickly is if you have receivers that are crisscrossing immediately so that one defensive back can't get to his receiver okay so but what happened was a combination of asu not doing those things and asu being uh in situations that didn't call for those types of plays because those are plays that are going to maybe get you three four five yards and that's what likens is talking about when he's talking saying you know we're a scheduled offense if they can run the ball they can get some of those quick run quick types of uh, run replacements. They can get some 12 personnel stuff. That's a recipe for some success against this type of an opponent. They have had success against Utah in uh, recent years, including last year with the same you know, offensive staff, Dave Christensen and Rob Likens. They put the game plan together and all that. But there was just so many things that kind of worked against them. And I also just want to say that for the first time on my timeline all year, there were like people mentioning, like talking about ASU, like putting in a different quarterback. And that was like, <laughs> that like blew my mind. I can't even like put into words. Everybody always says, right. The, the backup quarterback is the, the most popular player on the team. Right. And it, this is nothing against Joey Yellen, you know, or whoever Dylan's really cool. Not on the team anymore. Right. But the idea of putting Joey Yellen in the game against Utah on the road 
when it's 45 degrees first and career start. windy and raining. No, I mean, Your not first as a, career outing if he would get in the game. Yes, that is the height of uh, stupidity. Okay, you have to be a moron if you're on my timeline suggesting that ASU should have put Joey Allen into the game we talked in that, about it in that situation. Game. You talked about it after the game with me, Chris, saying that, I mean, you know, we were talking about what would ASU's record be with a different starting quarterback, Joey Yellen, Dylan Sterling Cole, Ethan Long, if he ever won the job, and you decided that two wins was what ASU would have at this point. Two wins. And it would just be the two non- First two games of the yeah. year, and then loss, 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 loss. Okay, not even close. Jane Daniels is easily the best quarterback that they have. And um, one of the things that I do during games is I uh, shoot the action from my phone on a phone tripod so that I can see the all 22 that you can't see a lot of times on TV. So then I went I go back and I watch the games. Okay, and I write down what happens on every every play. Right. Assignments, breakdowns, uh, the uh, route progression he doesn't sleep ladies and gentlemen right and this is why you should listen to our, our premium podcast and why you should join sundevilsource.com for one dollar for the first month so that you can learn about all this stuff but uh and by the way like no offense to anybody else but i see a lot of podcasts come out like on the day after the game and there's no way I, the day after the game that people have done this full review so you're there people are just telling you what they think from having watched the game not from go, having gone back and studied the game but we have field level highlights we don't we just have, have field level highlights, all 22, Rob. We have all 22 footage. We have the no, we don't. Booth and Rudd. What? Where are you going with this right now? I'm just saying we have some special content. Are you, did you take? Did you get some like happy gas before we started the podcast always, today? You know, I'm always happy. <laughs> no, listen. We do not have all 20. No offense, but Rob, we don't have all 22 footage from the end zone. All 22 is an above footage. Yeah, your footage. Okay. I'm not saying we oh, put it out. So we, we got it from all that. angles. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I I missed your point there, but okay. So but anyways, one of the things that I watch very carefully is did Jaden Daniels miss open receivers? He missed almost no open receivers in this entire game. I'm literally he might have missed two guys in routes that he could have actually hit. That is very low. That is much lower than your average junior, senior, multi-year starting quarterback. Nobody was open because they. it was a combination of Utah knew what was coming because the down and distance made ASU predictable, right? When Utah knows, oh, it's second and very long, third and long, they're going to drop back, play cover two man. When it's the shorter distances, they're going to play, you know, cover one man and so it was a combination of knowing what was coming, being predictable, ASU being behind schedule, and then and then Rob Likens with some of their game plan and some of their capability uh, probably not being as wired in as I think that they could have been in terms of some of the strategy that went into the game. I think one thing we have to mention as well, though, defensively, is Danny Gonzalez drew up a pretty good game plan to take on, I mean, some of the best offense in the, in the Pac-12 in Tyler Hundley and Zach Moss. Guys they have on that team, a physical offensive line. ASU was able to get pressure on Tyler Huntley a good amount. He he got hurt. He got banged up on one play uh, when Amiri Johnson came in the game. And he was pretty, uh, as you said on your Twitter, Chris, he's been, he was pretty good in, in past situations in this game. I think it's important to mention um, that this game was in a seemingly manageable point where ASU felt like they at least were in the game for a little while uh, because of the takeaways and because of the, the – uh, ability of DJ Davidson and Jermaine Lole to have solid games and really prevent Utah from getting out in space. Yeah. So, uh, I think once again, Danny Gonzalez had a really great game plan for Utah. Um, 
you see that very clearly in the fact that it took that fourth quarter 33-yard run or whatever it was for Zach Moss uh, to break the school record uh, coming in. Zach Moss, 25 carries, 99 yards. Pardon me, it was a 32-yard touchdown run that he had. You take that off the off the table, which you know I'm, I'm sure Dan Gonzalez is pretty upset about that play because of the way that it unfolded, but he has 24 carries for whatever it is, 67 yards, right? So uh, that's that's a great performance by ASU's defensive front. I thought Jermaine Lole was excellent. DJ Davidson was excellent. I thought uh, TJ Pesafeo had his best game easily. George Lee played well. Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler both played really well. A couple plays notwithstanding. Uh, Merlin Robertson had the, uh, the, the personal foul. I think that was kind of a bad call, but his technique – as a blitzer was poor on that, he chopped up his feet and that's what contributed to him being slightly laid. And also the way that he, you know, had his helmet first into that play. Uh, they also had on the conversion where Evan Fields got the targeting penalty. That was a third and very long situation. Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler both dropped about five yards more than they should have dropped. They Those guys were f- at least five, maybe seven yards beyond the first down marker. They never should be beyond the first down marker. So then what happens is because of the little, you know, you know, dump off pass to, to Moss, those guys have a much longer run to get to the, the place. Robertson should have been there a lot earlier. He wasn't. Evan Fields, as you know, the tackle's being made, he drops his head because he's a head-dropping tackler, which he shouldn't be doing technically. Uh, it's not because he's a dirty player. It's because that is his kind of bad habit in his form of technique. Also on that play, Kobe Williams made a mistake by uh, checking up his feet as opposed to running to the tackle. Uh, that's not the way the ASU teaches that. So... Um, now, at the same time, Merlin Robertson was very physical uh, on some of their edge stuff in the 50 fronts. He, he had it shared in a tackle for loss. That was a really nice play. Uh, it, this, this was the type of game that ASU's defense matches up well with opponents, very similar to Michigan State, similar to Cal. They handle all these things very well. Uh, in their passing game, I thought that they did a very good job for the most part on the perimeter. Jack Jones was soft in coverage on a third down play that uh, went to the marker. Then they were able to convert on that. Uh, there was a few other breakdowns. After Evan Fields was taken out of the game due to his penalty, two plays, maybe three plays later, there was a fourth and eight or fourth and nine situation in which uh, Tyler Johnson blitzed, avoiding that area. Uh, Tyler Wiley is supposed to come up against the route structure that that was created. He was very slow in doing so. That's a misassignment, which uh, led to Utah scoring a few plays later on, on its second touchdown of the game. I think by my count, watch, rewatching it again, that Tyler Wiley probably had three assignment errors in the game after Evan Fields went out. So that was a big departure that, that happened there. But really, for the most part, ASU's defense, as you said, Rob, played extremely well. 342 yards of total offense by Utah. Uh, 5.1 yards per play, given how poor ASU's offense was, right? You would have expected Utah to get more yardage, have more production, have more capability because ASU only runs 51 plays in the entire game. So so that was an A- minus to a B-plus game, actually, by ASU's defense. It's just that the ASU offense was a D-minus to an F. And if, if, that, if, if ASU's offense is a C in that game, it's another one score game, which has been the norm for uh, you know the Herm Edwards era. And by the way, 
Utah is a better team than ASU. I thought that before the season. I thought that before this game. I think that after the game. They're better. They're probably going to win the South. We get all that, right? Um, ASU's still quite young. ASU's still thin in spots. ASU's playing a lot of freshmen. We saw Willie Hart's out there the whole game in place of, of Cam Phillips, who wasn't able to go because of a hamstring. You got, you know, you got two freshman starters on the offensive line. They've kind of tried to rotate there to, you know, prolong those guys, keep them a little bit healthier. That's been a little bit of an issue. They're going to continue, I'm sure, to, to look at the, these rotations. Ladarius Henderson's in a bad situation. He's going up against one of the best pass rushers in the Pac-12 who's playing a right end against him every single snap. Bradley and I had three sacks, beat him on multiple plays. They're trying to chip. They're trying to help. They're trying to do everything that they can to protect. And uh, also, we saw Utah, Leaky Fotu, and John Penasini and their other players, they reset the line of scrimmage. They're getting their hands up, and that's why the ball is getting knocked down at the line of scrimmage four or five times. They're taking away passing windows that have been there by uh, for against other opponents throughout the entire season. I'm, I'm glad you, you circled back a little bit to the offense just momentarily, and I'm going to circle back to something that you said a little bit earlier and, and also kind of shout out. Something we do on the site. So so for those of you that don't know and don't yet subscribe, this one piece of content, in my opinion, makes it entirely worth it. It's Chris's Upon Further Review. It provides an incredible amount of content, uh, context, context, excuse me, uh, over the course of the entire game. And one thing that I was just able to go through very quickly to look at was when you mentioned the amount of missed open receivers that Daniels had throughout the game. I went through and actually counted it. There are two, arguably three, and the third would have been on the uh, Kyle Williams pass interference where he missed a wide open Brandon Ayuk. But but so really it's two. Two open receivers over the course of the entire game that were actually and the missed. The one that Ayuk was an overthrow. So it wasn't that he didn't see it. That was an execution mistake. Right. So it really it was two that were like not identifying where he should have probably gone with the ball. There were two where you actually wrote he missed an open receiver. Yeah. And that's that's a very, very low percentage. Yeah. So I appreciate it. I really, I think it's a good point. The upon further review, like if you really want to like understand schemes, the way coordinators think about the, the game plans, you know, all the player assignments and everything, like that's the place to be. We don't really plug it like super hard. Right. But like, you know. We should. Sometimes we do. And, and by the way, also I just to this point, um, we have added like a whole lot of subscribers this month because people have been really excited and we ran two promos. And so like, I know a lot of those people actually have told me that they decided to subscribe in part because of our free podcast. I've received a bunch of emails of like that over the years. So there's probably other people who are listening right now and I'm going over like very detailed amounts of like plays, personnel groupings, right. what happened in these games. I'm just like, compare it to what else is out there and with ASU coverage and see what you think. And I think one thing that's very important that we get to and, and focus on before Chris gives a note about the Pac-12 South and how this is shaking up, uh, especially after the loss to Utah, um, this was a game in which ASU just had a crazy amount of penalties. Um, they had 12 for 122. 12, yeah, 12 for 122. Utah had 5 for 45. ASU had multiple penalties. Uh, uh, personal fouls on third downs that would have got their defense off the field. Evan Fields with a targeting foul that obviously knocked him out of the game. Um, it, it looked like ASU was very emotional in this game. It was trying to make this game somewhat of a rivalry. Um, 
and ASU just seemed like it couldn't hang in there under those circumstances. I was the first one out uh, as Herm Edwards was shaking hands with Kyle Whittenham, and and I heard him apologize uh, to Whittenham after the game and say, uh, this is not us, this is not what we teach, and I'm very sorry about how the game uh, unfolded tonight. So I was asked by a couple people if that actually happened. We have video. If you go into our highlights, you can see the last the last shot. Is you can, you can hear the entire exchange from Edwards and Whittingham. Um, but really just— Good job getting that shot, man. Thank you. Uh, but really just a, a surprising game out of uh, out of ASU in that regard. Yeah, it was it was surprising. And like Hermel Edwards always says, and he, he tells the media this all the time, is he's preaching passion over emotion. And that's his that's his big goal. He wants his players to play, play passionately. And he wants them to find that balance of aggressive defense. And that's something that Danny Gonzalez has preached in the past, too. It's just this they want this aggressive style, but he doesn't want an emotional style of play. But really, before I hand it off to Chris, who's going to do a much better job than I would, one statistic that I think is worth mention, ASU had 122 yards, like you just said, Rob, in, in total penalties. That's 14 fewer yards yeah. in penalties than they had in total offense in the entire game. 14 That's, penalties to, to offense. When you put it that way. Uh, yeah, so I, I just during the game, one of the things I tweeted is that it, it reminded me of a Dennis Erickson-era game more than a – uh, Herm Edwards game it just it just the players were overly emotional they got they they they, they were matching kind of what they saw from Utah but but it's not their personality and they did it in kind of the wrong way I think like Edwards apologizing was was interesting to me because a lot of fans uh, also like you know tweeted at us or posted on our board that Utah did a lot of the same types of things and didn't get called for some penalties for instance uh, you know, a shark crossable got slammed his head basically into the ground out of bounds, and there was no penalty. A shark crossable was pushed to the ground by a Utah player after Evan Fields was disqualified for targeting. Neither one of those were were called. Uh, uh, Utah had one review for targeting of Jaden Daniels where he was sliding, and there was helmet to helmet contact yeah. that was not called the targeting. And there were other plays where Daniels was was hit pretty aggressively in the backfield, maybe even a little bit late. So what fans said is, why is Herm Edwards apologizing when when Utah was doing the same types of things, right? And Herm Edwards' response, even though you know he didn't give one on this, I'm very confident that it would be. I'm not worried about what the other team is doing. The other team, they're, whatever they're going to do, we can't change who we are mm-hmm. and what we're about. And we are not going to win when we play in that sort of an emotional state. And I agree with him on that, right? And I also agree with ASU's fans that Utah was doing plenty of stuff and probably just as much, if not more, than ASU in some respects. And also that maybe the game was kind of called unfair in, in that way. The Darian Butler personal foul, I don't think that was probably a personal foul. Um you know, so some of those things that happened, like I don't think Merlin Robertson's personal foul was any egregious. He was already like basically off his feet as the ball was going up. So I, I think that some of the officiating in the game, it went against ASU in a kind of a little bit of an unfair way, not an equal kind of a way, I don't think. Uh, and I don't say that very much like a lot of people uh, do. But that certainly, certainly was not the difference in this game by any stretch. And if ASU did have the its more normal temperament and demeanor, um, I think that that would have been a benefit to the team. And might they, have been a little bit of a different game, like you're saying. That didn't end the game. That didn't right. define the game. But I agree with you that it would have been a different effort. They had, and by the way, like you know, I'm sure everybody listening who watched it was like, 
man, I can't believe ASU is down 14 to three and has the ball in Utah's territory in the third quarter. They're going to about to maybe like score a touchdown here or a field goal. And they're going to make it a one score game. And We've seen what ASU's done three times before, mm. but how many times in this podcast have I said to you guys they're asking too much of Jaden Daniels? Oh, tons. They're that. over and over. Every you can't expect Jaden Daniels to lead a come from behind win every fourth quarter against good teams on the road, guys. So it so it's not Jaden Daniels, and it's not uh, the ASU defense, and it's not you know the you know any of these other things that you're talking about. ASU's offense. With which Rob Likens acknowledged their youth really revealed itself. Herm Edwards said, "Our youth revealed itself. Growing pains. That all is all true, and they and and they they have to basically just keep learning from this and keep progressing and growing and moving on." I hope everybody's going to watch our Hermisms this week because there was a question Ooh, posed to Herm uh, Edwards yesterday on Monday, uh, like. You know, are you disappointed that Jaden Daniels looked like a freshman against Utah? And he laughed before saying, you know, he is a freshman, right? He's allowed to look like a freshman because he is one. I have an article uh, with that quote in there. There's a whole thing about mentality and Jaden Daniels and, and all that kind of stuff. And that'll that'll be out at some point, depending on when you listen to this. But I had a question for you, Chris. When you saw the Darian Butler personal foul, would you not have called that if you were on the field? I, I mean, I, where it, did you stand on it's that? It's such a hypothetical. Like, I don't know. Like... So I just think that I think that I don't. I, so it looked like Huntley was going to scramble. So as soon as Huntley is, if he's scrambling across the line of scrimmage and he was close to the line of scrimmage, then Butler can clean that up and, you know, because he's right there and somebody else can go and make a play. Okay. I just think that it was, it was so bang, bang reactionary to everything that he's seeing that there was no, there was no intent, but Danny Gonzalez has been saying regularly, cause you guys know it, the ASU has been called for some blindside blocks, Ricky Pearsall, two or three of them on their kickoffs that you can't away from the football. If you're not directly involved in the play, you can't do that stuff against an unprotected player. And the receiver wasn't looking, and he was uh, he was a uh, you know he was unprotected, and you know but it wasn't like a hard hit or whatever, and it wasn't like you know it wasn't like Butler was trying to like hurt him or anything like that. It just was something that happened. They're probably right. gonna call it, and I don't know because it's I'm not in the meeting rooms talking right. to the no, yeah. you know about what you know what we're trying to hone in on. Well, I was more I was more just saying from what you saw. I, I I don't put it this way. I don't think it was like a terrible call like okay. i understand why somebody would throw that flag although i may not have and i think that it was kind of a little bit that's all i was asking yeah, yeah. all right and last thing before we wrap up this podcast chris i know you wanted to talk about the pac-12 south and what this does for asu for utah usc what, what it just means going forward all right well of course if if for asu to win the south it would need either utah to lose two more games and in it to win out um, you know, or maybe some combination of a three-team tie in which ASU held the tiebreaker, which would probably require a win over USC and the other teams in the South. Like ASU would probably have to beat UCLA, USC, Arizona, Oregon State, and maybe even Oregon, you know, depending on what that tie ended up being in the loss column. And, um, you know, it, so it looks, it looks very unlikely. You got to give ASU probably you know, 5% chance or something like that at this point in time of winning the South. And, but on this point, Rob, I just want to remind our audience. Okay. Everybody looks at this, the schedule before the season starts and they go, I think ASU is going to go eight and four or seven to five. And then they pick the wins and they pick the losses. Okay. But I just want everybody to think about it. 
when ASU was five and one, did you really think that Colorado was going to be the only loss? Right? Nobody thought that. Right? The home loss to Colorado was the only loss. You can't. ASU was ahead of schedule at five and one, better than probably it should have been. Okay. So if then fans, they get super excited and they think, wow, we should, we can win the South this year. This team wasn't built to win the Pac 12 championship. Anybody that thought that this team was going to win nine or 10 games in the Pac 12 championship, that would, that was extremely rosy. The best possible scenario that ever could have happened. Much more likely the ASU was going to win somewhere between six and eight games this year. That's probably where it's going to end up being. The, the goal for the team is to be on the higher side of that range, show progress, beat US, UCLA or USC, make gains, have a good recruiting year, send them up for next year where they have an even older defense, another year older Jane Daniels, and you keep going and going from there. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For publisher Chris Cartman, as subscribe, well as, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in. Akuna Matata.